Hello, this is Fantastic Noise. In this episode, we are discussing the audio art of Vox Pops, speaking with award-winning presenter and reporter Justin Dealey from BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm Terry Lee, Senior Tutor in Radio and Audio at the University of Bedfordshire. Thanks for your time and your ears. Vox Pops, Vox Populi, Voxing, the voice of the people, the person on the street interview. It's about getting the opinions of ordinary people on the street on any given issue to present a sample of public opinion at any given time or place. It's also something we teach in Year One here at the University of Bedfordshire because it can lead to some fantastic content. My guest today knows a thing or two about fantastic content. So I'm Justin Dealey. I'm a reporter and a presenter at BBC Three Counties Radio. The Radio Academy Awards, Audio Production Awards and the BBC's Gilead Awards are just a few examples of the gongs that Justin has won in recent years. And so much of that success can be put down to his undoubted connection to the locality and the stories of the people he is telling. I've been here for about 25 years now. I also live in the patch as well, which is a great help to me because the stories that we're covering actually mean something to me locally. Justin has some great advice and examples with regard to recording vox pops and recording people on location generally. After we hear the conversation, I will recommend something else to listen to and we will have the radio word of the week. But here we go. I started by asking Justin to tell us what makes for a good Vox Pop package. The way that I would describe going out and speaking to people is always act in the heat of the moment. And sometimes when you hear people talk about Vox Pops, they go, oh, Vox Pops. But to me, they are really, really important. And it's about doing something that a presenter in the studio cannot do. So if you're going out and you're just going to be interviewing somebody... A presenter could do that. But what voxing is about is about capturing that moment. So a brief example, uh, this week we have Max Whitlock, who's from my hometown. He was out in Tokyo, of course. Um, He won a gold medal on the pommel horse. Um, He came back into Heathrow Airport this week. Now, if a presenter had spoken to Max the following day, you are not in the heat of the moment. But when you're there, when he's coming through and his family are all there, you know that you're going to capture something really, really special. So that's what Vox Pops are to me, capturing something that the man, the woman back in the studio cannot do. So when when we teach Vox Pops at the university, hmm. we kind of get students to speak to lots of people asking essentially the same question yeah. and, and clip up short versions of, of answers and put them one after the other. I know that that's not necessarily the way that you do it, for, no. for BBC Free County. So maybe explain what, what you might be doing. Well, well, I'm quite lucky in a sense that when I go out and do a Vox Pop, because I've been at the radio station for so, so long, my words are always kept in that Vox Pop. And something that I would always do, uh, and maybe it's just me being overprotective, I don't know, but I always come back and I like to edit my own work. Because when you've done that interview yourself, you are going to know where those key moments are. So, so I am actually involved in that process. Luckily, for me. But it's it's about, I think, 
taking it one step further, and I'll tell you what I do, I'll start off with a really light example of, of some of the things that I do. So recently, The Guardian were talking about Shrek, the film. A very, very light subject. Uh, it was the anniversary of the film, and the person that was writing this article was saying that it was a really, really overrated movie. So we went out into the street and, and just always think, when you're doing a Vox Pop, how can I make it different? There's a moment in this Vox Pop at the end coming up where we've spoken to somebody who says, oh, I've got a friend called Shrek. So how do you take it one step further? Get him to phone his friend called Shrek. Get it on speakerphone and record that moment. So it's a really light example, but here's what happened. Do you like Shrek? I live with a Shrek. Thank you very much. Right, I've watched Shrek a thousand times. It's not overrated. So if the person who wrote that article for The Guardian walked down this street right now, what would you say to them? I'd give them verbally a piece of my goddamn mind. Powerful. You've got a mate called Shrek. That's right. You're about to phone him? I am. Hello, is that Shrek? Yeah, who's that? Shrek, my name's Justin. I'm calling from the BBC. Can you give me a Shrek impression? You have just made my day. Thank you, Shrek. No worries at all. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. No problem. Anytime. Bye. Listening to that, that's an unusual boxing technique. Yeah. I wouldn't hear many of my students come up with that, for example. <laughs> It's unusual, but it works. And sometimes we have used that in the past where somebody goes, oh, my friend thinks X, Y, Z. Okay, can we speak to your friend very quickly now? And I, I always love, on a Vox Pop, we don't do it all the time because if we did it, it wouldn't be a surprise. But that sound of a phone ringing, somebody answering it, it's, it's that sound that I love. I really love that sound. So ultimately, Justin, that's an example of an interesting, like the sort of voxing that you do. I'm, by the way, I'm embracing your term voxing now. That's great. Would you say that element of, of surprise, that thing that makes it stand out, is what makes your Vox Pops good ones or, or what makes a good Vox Pop package? I think so. I, I always think to myself, there could be 25 people up and down the country that have seen this story in the papers today and they're all out asking the same question. So how can we make it different? And what I would say to anybody as well who is voxing at the moment, always think at the back of your mind, where is the story going to go next? Here's quite a serious example. This is Wixom's Academy in Bedford. So We've gone there to speak to the parents because the parents were promised, and the pupils, of course, a sixth form academy. Now, a year before the academy was due to open, and Wixom's is, is a brand new estate on the outskirts of Bedford, the parents received a letter saying that, I know we said that you were going to get the sixth form next year, but sadly, that's now not going to happen. So we've gone down and we've spoken to parents who are really, really upset because their kids now are going to be going to different schools. Uh, they're going to be losing their friends as well. So we've done the Vox. We've played it to the powers that be. They have declined to come on the show. Now, they've declined to come on either to talk to us and we are not getting much response in terms of an email. So the people that you have spoken to, i.e. the parents at the heart of this story, Always think what could happen next. So we knew that the chief exec was going to be inside the academy 
talking about this. So we got tipped off that they were going to be there. So one of those parents came with me. We waited two and a half hours for the chief exec to come out. And when he did come out, we asked him the question. Now, this is a really powerful way of, of using your listeners, your audience as part of the voxing process. Because me asking a question to the chief exec uh, about the future of the academy is one thing. But having a parent who is going to be affected and their child affected by that as well, that's much stronger. That's much more powerful. So when he eventually came out, this is what happened. Mr. Abraham, sorry to bother you. I'm from BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got a parent here, Grace, who'd like to ask you a question, sir. Well, I've just been in a meeting with the local advisory board and uh, we've been talking about the way we go forward, the sixth form, when it's going to come. So when's it going to come? That is something we're planning, we're talking about, and we are committed to developing a sixth form. You've always been committed, so when is the sixth form going to open here? When we can get all the spinning plates in place. So when's it going to open? When Because parents are feeling incredibly anxious about the future of of their child's education. Of course they are. And we're doing this for the best interest of the children to make sure that they have a clear path. You can't give us an answer, can you? Grace, what's your question? Would you please listen to the question from the parent? You're not willing to listen to a question from the parent? Sir, we have a parent here who's waited two and a half hours to speak to you. Spinning plates. I did tell him that you waited two and a half hours to put a question to him and he wasn't willing to listen to a question from you, a parent who's got a lot of anxiety about the future of your child's education. From my own personal perspective, it affects me directly, it affects my child directly. We want to know when our sixth form is opening. And to have an analogy like spinning plates, it's so disrespectful. It's He's in high office for the trust that's running our academy. And he is bringing it down to an analogy of spinning plates. These are our children. <laughs> it's just it's so disrespectful. Yeah, I can see what you mean. That That is powerful. And you've even included car noise of the driving off. Like, do, did you have to add that in separately or did you genuinely get that noise at the it time? It's all completely natural. And by doing that, um, I think it highlighted what the parents were saying to us, that they were trying to get answers and there were no answers. And I think by doing something like that, it demonstrates to your listeners what those parents are going through. And a week later, uh, would you believe it, but that decision was overturned. So the sixth form will be opening as planned next year. Now, great. That's a good result. With these examples that you're highlighting, do do your you, you know you've been at you've been at the BBC for 25 years. You just said so. Do do your the management and do other producers do they comment or judge and yeah. do you get feedback on things? Do you have to make changes to any of these packages? I'm really really lucky that I work with a really really good team of people, and we will always try and go over above and beyond to get answers for our listeners. And sometimes that involves the original Vox process that will then lead you to what you just heard there. But yeah, feedback afterwards, always important. How can we improve on that? On that occasion, we got a result for our listeners, which was great. But but for something like that, that there is a, a big team process. You can't just rock up at a school and do that. It's got to be okay by the news editor. This is what we're going to do this evening. What if things go wrong? So that process can be quite long, uh, can involve quite a lot of paperwork as well. But yeah, it's it's not just me as a loner, if you like, that there is a big team of people 
who are part of, of how we would make something like that happen. When you're thinking about going back to general voxing, the questions that you ask, yeah. do, do you carefully come up with questions? Because I, I appreciate they're probably short questions, but you, you want to phrase them in a certain way. Are you careful with how you phrase things or is it just come naturally now? It does come naturally, but at the same time, you've always got to have a question at the back of your mind to make it simple for somebody. I mean, to, to give you an example of that, one of our shows at Three Counties, they have a, a phone in every day at 10 o'clock and it's the big phone in with a question. Mm. So the question could be something as simple as, do you think that people need a vaccine passport to go abroad? So it's a very, very simple question. So if you are going out there and you are speaking to people, it's really important to have that question at the back of your mind because you can go straight in there you keep it nice and simple. And then as the conversation flows, then obviously uh, more things come into it and it's a bit more natural. But I think you need to have a, a firm question at the back of your mind to ask people if you're going out and doing something like that, because you will get a much better response by, by having that question. We're talking now about, I guess, the things that some students that I work with might be asked to do, like mm. going out asking questions, yep. uh, having a piece of equipment. Out of interest, what what equipment do you tend to use when you are? Um, I use a what they call a flash mic, which I believe they don't make anymore. So most of my colleagues, this is quite an interesting question actually, because most of my colleagues will go out with mobile phones. And I honestly, and maybe I sound really old fashioned here, but I don't like mobile phones because when you're going out and about with a mobile phone, it doesn't look like a microphone. And I know people can plug microphones into them, but I go out with with a flash mic. Um, the sound on it is always so much better. If you're going somewhere that's going to be really, really noisy, and there's an example of that coming up very soon, but if it's going to be noisy, I always believe that you need a proper microphone to do that. Most people are using phones and they're absolutely fine, but it's a microphone. And when you approach people straight away, they know what you're going to be asking them about because not many people are walking the streets with a microphone. So it's a lot easier to go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm from the BBC. We're talking about this. Can I ask you a very quick question? And away you go. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I've always thought the microphone was a good <laughs> good introduction <laughs> to things as well. Justin, so, so who do you approach? I guess it might depend on the sorts of question that you're asking. Yeah. But I guess I'm wondering generally in terms of male and female voices, old and young voices, do you, do you generally try to get a, a mix or, or do you target specific people? How do you go about that? It really is a complete and utter mix. So I, I will normally, and, and here's a tip for students, if I'm doing whatever question, I will normally limit myself to 10 minutes to go out and get exactly what I need. Because I think that if you're going to go out for two or three hours um, and you haven't got anything that, that, that you see as, as the quality you're looking for, it's probably not going to happen. So I, I would pick up the microphone. Um, I would go to a location and I would spend 10 minutes speaking to as many people as I possibly could about their thoughts on a particular subject. And I'll probably use, I would say, a minute and a half of that on air. So it's just a case of get as many voices as you possibly can. And one thing that a lot of people do in this industry is if somebody is rude to you or if somebody swears during that, I would use it all. And I would bleep out the swearing and I would use everything that you've got. If, so, if you ask somebody a question about, say, the vaccine and they are rude to you, use it. 
because mm. I think the listeners have got a right to know as well what people are saying. Make it real. If somebody is angry, if somebody is rude about a question that you've asked and they've agreed to talk to you, use it. That's interesting. I mean, and, and incidentally, I know you did speak to some people about the, the vaccine. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, play, I'll play that now because the, the vaccine's a really interesting way of, of getting audio, which maybe a presenter wouldn't get. So here at Three Counties, I'm only talking from, from my personal experience here, but if you're talking about the vaccine and whether or not you're going to have the vaccine, what tends to happen is people phone up who say, I've had it, everybody should get it. And then the ones who are adamant that they're not going to be getting the vaccine, those sort of people tend to text the show. So you don't tend to get those voices on the radio. But if you go out and you vox people on the vaccine, for some reason, when you're face to face with them, they want to talk to you mm. about that. So that, that again goes back to something I mentioned earlier on. Always aim at the back of your mind to get something that the presenter maybe isn't going to get on the show. And using these pieces will actually encourage other calls to come forward. So here's some audio that I got whilst voxing on the vaccine. No, I trust science. And science has actually proven that mask wearing increases transmission. The, the science that we've seen no, the, says that no, by no, no, wearing no. a mask no, you can protect other that, people. The science that hasn't been um, given over. But we're going by the science in the public domain. By wearing a mask, if no, you have got by, it, if you have no, got it, you are protecting no, no, other no, no, people. No, that is a fact, no, sir. No it's, not, no, it's not a fact. It is. Have you had the jab? No, why would I take an experimental jab? Millions of people have had that. Good for them. To protect they, if they, themselves if they, and other right, people but, that so, they know and love. So if they, if millions of millions of people have had the experimental jab without knowing the full ins and outs of it... I have spoken to a lot of people like you who won't be having a jab. I've also spoken to a lot of people who say it's your duty to be vaccinated for this no, country. No, it's my body. Have you had COVID? Uh, late 2019. And how did you cope with it? Carried on. Are you going to be vaccinated? No. What would you say to anybody who says you are very, very selfish? I would say you're being selfish in imposing your views on me because I'm an individual and I have individual rights and freedoms. How many other people do you know that have got the same sort of attitude as you? Many, yeah. And you've got no guilt for that at all? Absolutely none, no. And yes, I, I see what you mean because there's two two guys there who are yep. you know, pretty adamantly... Absolutely. Against against the vaccine and, and have people. and have those views and there are many more out there like but like with those people, people. I'm I honestly believe those people and I'm only talking from my experience those people would not phone a radio station but if they hear that on a radio station they might well pick up the phone and have mm. that say sometimes it's about hearing a voice that you can connect with uh, whether you believe in something or not so th that's a, a good use I would say of, of getting audio from a station which maybe they wouldn't get via the callers. I guess in a similar-ish sort of way, uh, other sorts of people you might not necessarily get calling into BBC Three Counties Radio just after Euro 2020 final between England and Italy would yeah. be uh, gloating Italian fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they, well, maybe you would because uh, people might not appreciate that Bedford has a massive Italian community. Yeah, Bedford does have a huge community um, of, of Italians that live there. And what I said earlier was, was act in the heat of the moment. So I gave up my night of watching the football at home to go to Bedford. And it was great because if England won, it was going to be a celebration. And if Italy won, you knew it would be a celebration as well. So you were going somewhere that you knew was going to be 
good after the game. And th- there was this idea that, well, if, if Italy win, why don't you go to Bedford on Monday morning and speak to people about how they feel uh, about Italy winning the Euros? Well, well, that's no good because the following morning, the emotion has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Italy did win, all of the uh, Italian community in Bedford went down to the embankment and I got down there and I couldn't believe what I was seeing, that there was just thousands of people everywhere, that they were singing, it was joyous. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, a big group of people, I'm just going to get myself in the middle of those people right now and I'm going to see what happens. But this is what, what they call acting in the heat of the moment. There's no point going the day after because you're not going to get the atmosphere. This is what happened that evening. These people have been here before. They know how to celebrate. There is a man next to me right now who is quite simply holding up a pizza box. Chanting Italia. Alex. Hello. What an atmosphere. (laughs) Oh, it's just great. This is really where all the Italians come celebrate. They've been doing it for 40 years. And the tradition is still going on today. 14,000 Italians who live in Bedford and it feels like every single one is here right now. Just going to see if I can squeeze through here and speak to this man who has a giant, when I say giant, it really is giant, massive Italian flag, and he's dressed up as Mario as well. somewhere with the other one. (laughs) You've won so much as a nation. Do you ever get bored of celebrating like this? We love it! This audio, Justin, really does paint a picture of a massive celebration, uh, which was nothing like what it was like after I'd finished watching the football game. (laughs) It was awful for the England fans um, that night. But but in Bedford, what we also gathered with other audio was English people shaking the hands of Italians. And I think a lot of people beforehand thought all Bedford um, after that game it could kick off. I don't think anybody I spoke to in bed for that evening thought that would be the case. Mm. Um, thankfully, it wouldn't. But but that's a moment. That's a moment in history. So sometimes I'll be sat at home. I'll know that something's happening locally. And instead of going the next morning, I'll go that night because yeah. I want to get those people in that moment. And I'll take some time back the following day. That, that will be my top tip, really, for, for anybody who's going out and speaking to the public. You need to, to get the timing absolutely right, because the following day, all that atmosphere, all of that raw emotion is not there. It's gone.
out of interest, Justin, what what was the uh, outfit that was being referred to where uh, you found uh, Super Mario outfits? So he was in his Super Mario outfit. Um, He was waving his flag and I've never quite seen anything like it, to be quite honest with you. Um, The following day, the following morning, if I'd gone to Bedford, it'd be fast asleep in bed. So we wouldn't have got that moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. I loved it. I appreciate there's there's actually far more to your job than going out and recording packages and boxing and things like that. You've got an, a regular award-winning program to present as well. How do you get a job like yours, you know, with the BBC uh, in the first place? Like how what was the route in? You've been there for a while, but how did you get there? Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I was 16 years old and at that time I was working in community radio. And radio had always been my passion. And it goes back to when I was five years old. So my uncle used to work for a a station. I don't know whether you've heard of them called Chilton FM back in the day. Of course. So at five years old, my dad said to me, right, we're going to take you over to Chilton Radio to sit in on your uncle's show. And he was doing a radio show on a Saturday afternoon. And I was a big football fan at the time. And John Barnes walked into the studio For those that don't know, John Barnes used to play for England. And as a five-year-old kid who had no idea what he wanted to do when he got older, that was it. (laughs) My mind was set. I wanted to work in radio. So I I did community radio. Then I got to 16 years old and I got suspended from school. Um, I got suspended from school for, for bunking off and I was suspended for a week. And my mum was absolutely livid. And she said, you've got to sort your life out. So what I did, I wrote a letter asking for work experience at Three Counties Radio. And I knew that Three Counties Radio commentated on my football team, Luton Town. So I went up to Simon Oxley, who I still work with today, by the way. And I gave him this letter and I said, look, I've been suspended from school. I need to sort my life out. Would you mind giving this letter um, to your bosses? He said, yeah, no problem. And I honestly thought that would be the end of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Within two days, I got a phone call and they said, would you like to come in for work experience? So I went in for two weeks and off the back of it, they offered me three hours on a Saturday morning uh, working with somebody called John Gaunt. Wow, yes. Back in the day. And um, that's how it started. And to be quite honest with you, I've just kind of worked myself up from there. That's how I first got into radio. Wow, amazing. So that's a great path in and, and a letter. I mean, I, I guess yeah. these days would probably not get quite as far from, from a, a nicely worded letter and there needs to be uh, well, even more. A phone call, but what I would say to any students who are looking to get into radio stations, just do your homework on the radio station. I mean, we, we've had people we, at the moment, we haven't got anybody coming in for work experience due to the, the COVID regulations and we haven't for, for 18 months, but, but sometimes people would turn up and they go, Oh, right. So, um, so who's doing the breakfast show these days? And I think when you are going to go somewhere, make an impression. So before I did my work experience at Three Counties, I spent a good day or so working out who was doing what. And so when I went into the building, I almost felt like to them that I was part of the team. I was passionate. Um, I knew the community and I knew the radio station. A little bit of homework. Honestly, I can't tell you how far that goes. When somebody walks in, and they say to you, oh, I heard your piece yesterday, or Roberto on drive time, I heard him do that last week. It goes such a long, long way. It really does make a really big impression because you've got to remember that 
A lot of people want to work in this industry. And every day I'm grateful for working in radio. But as there's so many people that want to get into it, just having that first impression, being passionate, knowing what you're talking about, it goes so, so far. It really does. And then what, and when you are there, if you're willing to do some jobs that other people might not want to do, such as uh, going up to people and speaking with them and recording them. And, and this, this is something that radio stations need all the time. And a lot of people say to me still, oh, you know, you, you're going out and you're speaking to people on the street. Isn't that something that, that you did 25 years ago? And yeah. I, I don't take any offense to that. But, but radio is, is about having voices. And sometimes there is just not enough people, uh, particularly at the moment, in a radio station to go out and get those voices. So when you go in and you say to somebody, oh, by the way, I can do that for you. And you can come back and you can turn that round very, very quickly for the radio station. That is brilliant because when people come in for work experience, sometimes it's almost a struggle to get people to do things that they can do. If somebody is trained to go out and speak to people and they can do that for the radio station they're working for during work experience, thumbs up all the way. Justin, finally, we, we always ask our guests this last question. Um, can you tell us about something that you're listening to at the moment that you enjoy? It might be a particular presenter or, or a radio station or a particular program or even a podcast that, mm. that you enjoy listening to. It's going to sound a bit naff, um, but it is in-house. When I go home, I don't listen to that much radio. And that's because if I do, I just keep consumed in it. It, it would feel like I've got no family time. So yeah. The show that I love listening to is a colleague of mine called Jonathan Vernon-Smith, and he's on from 10 o'clock every day. And Jonathan does a phone-in, but he also does, and this is what I love, and we're one of the only radio stations still doing this. He's got a consumer hour. Yes. So people phone in, and he's dealing with problems. I occasionally stand in on that show, and it's, it's incredibly hard to present. Because you're not only presenting, but at the back of your mind, you're thinking legally, where do we stand on a lot of things? It's, it's edgy, seat stuff, but, but he does it, does it so well. He helps so many people. So that's a good recommendation for anybody. The JBS show on Three Counties, every day at 10 o'clock. Brilliant, brilliant listen. Justin Dealey from BBC Three Counties Radio. Fantastic insights and brilliant examples from him. Here are a few things that he said that jumped out at me. Firstly, Justin talks about vox popping being a process that captures something that the person in the radio studio cannot capture. Ultimately, this rings true. This is why recording on location or having outside broadcasts works so well in radio. The crisp, rich, pure sound from the radio studio is great, but I love hearing a moan from someone with a strong local accent or the opinion of an older voice waiting at a bus stop with cars going by in the background. It can add a reality to the programme. What Justin does so well is use surprising techniques to keep listeners on their toes and really catch their ears by using things like bleeps or phoning people on location. That's original content. As long as listeners can still follow the story, techniques like this can be extremely memorable. I'm glad Justin spoke about the advantages of having a microphone in your hand when approaching members of the public. My students are increasingly recording people using their mobile phones, and often the sound quality is fine. But I find using an external microphone so reassuring, 
both for me and the person I'm speaking to. I can point a microphone towards someone when I want to record their voice, and I can take it away when I want to record something else. There's no confusion. A reporter microphone can also be useful on a windy day when it's got a proper cover on it. Vox Pops can be a good way of getting some unpopular or non-mainstream views on the radio in a responsible way. For example, there are some people who have different opinions about things pertaining to COVID-19. Voxing can ensure different perspectives are represented on air. Finally, Justin's story of getting into the radio industry was inspiring. Despite having issues at school, he made a path to work for the BBC. And now he's nationally recognised for his work. That's fantastic stuff. He also offered loads of good advice, especially to those who get work experience, to do your homework on the station first. Impress them with what you already know. You can hear Justin on BBC Three Counties Radio at 10pm on Saturdays, and you can follow him on Twitter at Justin Dealey. I'm going to briefly talk about something that I've enjoyed listening to recently. File on 4 is a current affairs programme produced by BBC News and broadcast on BBC Radio 4. First broadcast from Manchester in 1977, it's now produced in those BBC Salford studios by the BBC's Radio Current Affairs Department. Episodes are usually broadcast on Radio 4 on Sunday evenings and Tuesday nights, but I also sometimes listen to it as a podcast. It's long-running, some episodes are better than others, but overall the quality is very good, as you would expect from the BBC. I recently listened to an episode about the cost of long Covid. It was powerful, but not preachy. I learnt by listening, and with my production ears on, I was impressed by how they put the episode together. File on 4 is a great example of documentary news storytelling, and it's on BBC Radio 4, and also everywhere where you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone who's contacted the podcast with regard to the Community Radio Awards shortlisting for the On Track in Greensand Country project that I worked on this year. To be up for the Arts and Creative Radio category is great, and it will hopefully further raise awareness of Greensand Country in Bedfordshire. There will be a special episode of this podcast about the making of On Track in Greensand Country soon. It is also wonderful that one of the other four shortlisted programmes in that award category is one created by some of my students. It's the beginning of the end, uh, which is all about a sort of zombie apocalypse inspired by the COVID-19 vaccination programme. Fingers crossed that both of those do well. If you would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, be it with audio you recommend, stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback or something else, find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at A Fantastic Noise. You can also email us on fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Before we go, it's time for the Radio Word of the Week. Today it is XLR. An XLR connector is a type of electrical connector primarily found on professional audio, video and stage lighting equipment. The connectors are circular in design and generally have 
three pins. They are most commonly associated with balanced audio interconnection. Most microphones I use are connected to the desk via XLR, for example. Hey, I'm using a microphone connected by XLR right now. USB microphones are increasingly used, but professionally speaking, the XLR connection is still king. XLR is our radio word of the week. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do subscribe, give us a review and rating, and follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for future updates and previews. Thanks again to our guest today, Justin Dealey from BBC Three Counties Radio. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, that's Stu with a double O. Our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team, part of the School of Art and Creative Industries, and recorded in the studios of Radio Lab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. <laughs> <laughs>